or maybe someone that doesn't know Jesus, what a great opportunity for them to come out, which would be on Easter Sunday. So let's not make it about the Easter bunny. But if we can, let's go ahead and just turn to our reading. Good to be reading today from the book of John, chapter 19, verses uh, 25 through 30. And as we always do, we're going to have alternate reading and then finish last verse together. This is God's word, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and, the, and Mary Magdalene. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her hand, took her home. <laughs> a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyspus branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30, And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave his spirit. Well, good evening. Well, great to see all of you here. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be in John 19, and uh, we're going to be talking about the agape, unconditional love of God for you and I. Tonight, I want you to leave here being filled to the brim and in your heart and in your mind, understanding and getting a taste of just the glorious, unconditional love that God has for you and I. And I believe that if you leave here just with the taste of that, that that will transform your life, that will transform the way you live each and every day. Amen? And so this is what Good Friday and Easter is about. It's that reminder that God loves us so dearly. And tonight in John 19, I want us to see God's love in the big work of God's hand, as well as the smallest detail of our lives. So that's where we're going tonight. So the first part, I want you to notice that Jesus works in the small details of our lives. He notices it. And yes, he cares about every detail in our lives. Do you believe that? Okay. I thought it would be kind of fun, because every time I think about this, I think of the movie Bruce Almighty. Have you ever seen that movie? Well, Jim Carrey, who actually is one of my favorite actors, don't ask me why, I just grew up, but that was my era. And so he takes on the job of being God. And this scene always strikes me. And I want you to pay attention because this is where he actually gets the job and now he has to now address all of the everyday prayer requests and details of people's lives. So take a look. Well, you took the job, Bruce, so I suggest you get to it. Prayers, prayers, okay, prayers. Uh, this creepy whisper thing has to end. Organization and management, that's what I need. I need a system, something concrete. Concentrate. Files. Let all prayers be organized into files. 
that takes care of the voices. Not exactly a space saver, though. Grace might notice. I know. Prayer post-its! Something with a lock. Security combination. A password. A password. Yo! You've got prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. We bless. No mess. Downloading now. <laughs> it's good. It's good. This is gonna take a while. Twenty-seven thousand five hundred and three prayer requests. I better manifest some coffee. All right. So the reason why this always strikes me when I think about this concept is, I don't know if you ever think about what's going around around us. There's so much. There's billions of people, and you're telling me that God notices every detail, that He cares about every prayer and cry of God's people. And the word of God reminds us that, yes, in fact, he does. I want you to look, look with me. If you look at John 19, verse 25, the passage we read, it says this, and I want you to note, it says this, but standing by the cross of Jesus. Now, at this point, Jesus is being crucified, right? Right? He's on the cross. He's been mocked. Right? A crown of thorns has been pressed into his head, right? I mean, I get a prick on a, just a little thorn and I overreact. He's been beaten, scars in the back, lost all this blood, and now he carried this huge log up a hill, right? Putting to shame any CrossFit regime or that you have. And he now is there. You can imagine the, the people, the smell. And I want you to see what happens. In the midst of the chaos, it says this, but by standing by the cross of Jesus, for his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26 is really powerful. I don't know if you caught it. This is what it says. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. As he's on the cross, trying to take care of the sins of the world, he notices and addresses the need of Mary taking care of the small details of her life. You know, Jesus says seven things that are recorded in Scripture on the cross. These are the six that I want to show you. And these are ones that most of the attention is given to when you follow the Good Friday sequence, right? Because it says, Father, forgive them. They know now not what they do, right? Speaking about those that were crucifying him. And it says, today you will be with me in paradise, speaking to the sinner next to him, saying you're going to be in heaven with me. I thirst, fulfilling Psalm 69, 21, the prophecy. 
Father, why have you forsaken me? Describe me the separation that is causing between the Father and him because of sin. And it says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, talking about the prayer of submission to the will of the Father. And then it is finished, it's the completion of the plan. These are all important things. And when you hear a sermon about the Good Friday account of Jesus on the cross, a lot of times this is what the focus is on. But the seventh thing I believe shows us something very powerful and important about the heart of God, his agape, unconditional love for you and I, which is he cares about every detail in each and every one of our lives. Amen? And here, see, he is taking care of the sins, and he, yet he addresses and sees the need of Mary so that she can have a place to sleep tonight. I like what M. Carter says on this passage, and he says this, we understand the depth of God's love for us as he's shedding his blood for the sins of the world, showing us he can meet the most significant need in the universe, our sin. But he's also showing us he's not too busy, too tired, or too distracted to care for one desperate widow who needs a place to sleep. See, I want you to notice something. Whatever need you have, as insignificant as you might think, Jesus knows it, he notices it, he cares about it. This is why in 1 Peter 5, 7, it tells us what? Cast, what's the next word? Anyone? Okay. Casting, right? What's the next word? All, every, not just the big stuff, not the ones that just affect the church or big picture stuff. Every little anxiety and detail of your life, you are to cast it unto God. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he knows. As small as it might be, God is a father that cares for his sons and daughters in such a way where every little detail Jesus cares about. It reminds me of the Gospels in John 21, 12. Do you remember that story? Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And now you see the disciples, they're fishing. They don't catch anything all night. And then Jesus comes to the scene. And one thing that you need to notice about that story is that they're fishing. They were fishermen before. So now they're fishing. What does that tell you? They went back to their occupation. They forgot maybe what Jesus had taught them. Now they're back to their occupation. He could have reprimanded them. But what does he do? If you ever look at John 21, 12, it tells that Jesus cooked them breakfast. Because they've been working all night. He knew they were hungry. And the first thing he says isn't, bro, why are you fishing? I told you to be fishers of men. That's not what he says. He says, come, have breakfast. I want you to notice something. I think sometimes we forget that God is not just a distant God that stands above, that takes care of the important people. You are his beloved son or daughter. And everything that is going on in your life, he sees your pain, he sees your struggle, he knows he notices everything. And he loves you in such a way where he cares enough to address it. 
tonight, I want you to understand something. God loves you in such a way that he knows everything about you, all the good, bad, ugly, loves you in spite of those things. And he cares enough to speak into and be involved in every avenue. The first thing that I want to remind you is that even in the smallest details of life, he cares and he sees. I want to remind you, do you remember that passage in Luke 12? Why don't we shoot that up? Verse 22 says this. He said to his disciples, and I want you to hear these words as his disciples. I tell you, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, this insignificant bird. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse, storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, one of the greatest and richest people to ever live on this earth, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? I want you to pay attention to that last phrase, O you of little faith. You know why that's powerful? Because I want you to understand something. Jesus knows something about us. That we will struggle with this truth in our life. That sometimes our faith will be shaken to be able to see God as a God that knows and cares about every little necessity, simplicity, and maybe insignificant detail in our lives. Don't be shaken in, in your faith. Tonight, would you be really able to speak that truth to one another? So I'm going to invite you. Can you just, to the neighbor next to you, I'd like for you to say, God loves you. Say that real quick, very loud. Proclaim it here. Say, he knows every detail. Do you mind saying that? And that's good news for us, amen? That's good news. <laughs> A future like missionary pastor back there. Um, even though that's good news, that's not why we call Good Friday good. That's good news. But the second part that I want you to recognize, obviously, Good Friday is good because of the, the next statement, which is Jesus on the cross drinks the sour wine obeying to the fulfillment of every prophecy, he says, it is finished. In the Greek, it's a very powerful word. It's tetelestai, meaning the mission, the plan is accomplished. It is fulfilled. That what Jesus came to accomplish, now is done. Sin is eradicated. And now salvation can come to a people that by our own merit, we can never get to God. That that work is now finished and available for you and I. Praise the Lord. 
Right? That's when you say hallelujah. Yeah, I think we're getting there. So uh, this is making me very joyful. Okay? And th- that's, that's God's plan. And when sin entered the world, Jesus started a plan with God the Father and Holy Spirit to say, one day you're going to usher me in and I'm going to take body as a man, being fully God, fully man, and I'm going to die. And this is shown in Genesis 3. The plan was started when sin enters in. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15. They just sinned, Adam and Eve. And now they're going to get kicked out of the garden. And God is going to now curse everyone, right? Adam, Eve, and then this is the prophecy. The curse to the snake or the serpent. And he says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What is this? What is verse 15? This is what's known as the first gospel, the proto-euangelion, okay? If you want to be fancy, you want to impress your friends. This is the first gospel ever recorded in scripture. As soon as sin enters in, God starts a plan to say, look, this is a prophecy. You, serpent Satan, your seed will try to accomplish your evil work, but I'm going to send a offspring from the woman was going to be Jesus. And the prophecy is simply this. You shall bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Meaning you will hurt him. You will pain him. But ultimately, he will be victorious over you. When Jesus, Jesus doesn't come in Matthew. Jesus is started. And God the Father initiates that plan. And on the cross, when he says it is finished, he is accomplished the work of the prophecy that's shown here in Genesis 3.15. If you've ever seen Passion of the Christ, I've, I've mentioned this before, but this is the video from it. I want you to just kind of just pay attention to it back. If you ever watch this movie, this is the opening scene where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying because he's about to go to the cross. And do you ever watch, do you remember this? And what is the one weird funky thing that shows up here? Well, first of all, Satan, who looks really weird, right? Okay. But what's the second thing that shows up? You should notice something, which is a snake. A snake. A snake is coming. (laughs) Why? What is going on? What is it about the Bible that these biblical authors and scholars that really made this movie that kind of helped to kind of bring research. You're going to see this scene play out, and hopefully you'll understand Genesis 3.15 clearer. What's happening here is Jesus is about to go on the cross, and you see symbolically that the serpent, as prophesied in Genesis 3, is going to come to hurt Christ. And you see him stand, and you see something very symbolic that happens in the Passion of the Christ, the opening scene, which is he stands up, like that dramatic pause. And then you see something very 
very important, crushes the head. What that's supposed to show you, God loves us so dearly that as soon as sin enters into the world, he starts a plan to redeem us. When Jesus is on the cross and says, it is finished, that's the plan that many, many centuries ago, God the Father initiated with the Son and said, look, I love these people. I want to save them. I want to bring them as my sons and daughters. Jesus, this is my plan. And he initiates it. And Jesus on that cross dies a death that he should not have died. Finish the plan, the love plan that God had for you and I. You know, this is why when you read Romans 8.1, it should stir you. Because you know what it says? It says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know when it says condemnation? You know what that's supposed to really kind of stir in you? Is that the cross is supposed to be for me. That I'm the sinner. I'm the criminal. I'm the one that's supposed to be condemned. But now, it's not for me. Because I am in Christ Jesus. Tonight, would you be reminded that God loves you so dearly? To address our greatest need, which is our sin, and that salvation and that relationship with him. But also, it's not just this big stroke of just saving you. But God cares so much that every little daily activity and nuance, God knows about and cares about. Daily, he wants to just fellowship with us. What a God we have. I don't want this word agape, this agape love we talk about. I don't want it to just be this dry theological term. I want you to understand the depth of God's love for you and I. He would, he would die for us. Death that was for us. Then he would care enough to be involved in every little detail. I ain't insignificant, right? What a God. What a God we serve. What a God who loves us. Tonight, we're going to go now into a time of communion. Because I want you to remember the cross and the sacrifice that made that relationship with him to have access to that love was made available to us because of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. So I'm going to pray for us and for all the believers. I'm going to invite you to the table to my left or right. And tonight I want you to come with a heart of worship. To say, Jesus, I'm not worthy of you, but I come because you allow me to come. And you accept me, love me. So let's come to the table with that sort of heart. And I'm going to pray for us. Let's go into a time of communion. Jesus, we thank you that in you, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us. And you loved us so much that you went to that cross and you declared it is finished, giving us access to that wonderful agape love that showers us each and every day. Tonight we come to the table and we want to come remembering your sacrifice, 
not taking for granted any blessing that you poured out into us. Our lives are not perfect, so we come with our anxieties, all of it, all our burdens, but we know you care for us, and so we thank you for that. And as we take this communion, seal the gospel truth tonight into our hearts. And in your name we pray, amen. Let's come to the table.